You'll please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And just to give a clarification, um, my daughter Elizabeth was in Spain, um, but not for mission work. <laughs> she was there to party um, with a friend, and uh, uh, but you can pray for her because she came home and had some chest pains last night, and there's a possibility of a blood clot. Um, so they are testing uh, for that right now. And so uh, please pray for her that she would be uh, healed and that it would be nothing. Um, but please uh, keep her in your prayers uh, this morning and uh, the next couple days. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses um, 16 through 22 this morning. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you have wanted to quit something, when you wanted to give up. Or you're just so overwhelmed by circumstances. But at that time, then someone came with encouraging words to change your thoughts and actions. And we've seen this throughout histories. There are words that have been given that have changed the course of the world. We remember the words of Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. It was given at a time where uh, the state of Virginia was thinking about not joining the revolution against uh, England, and yet um, Patrick Henry stands and rises before uh, the the gathered people, gives a speech, and it helps to turn the tide uh, where Virginia joins uh, in the thing against England, and so uh, the tides are turned. We remember the words, I have a dream by Martin Luther King Jr. that turns the tides of our country We can remember the words of Ronald Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, and it changes the course of the world. So there are words that are given to us, and the Apostle Paul gives some encouraging words to the Thessalonians who are in the midst of a hard, rough time, and so they're probably in the midst of thinking of giving up. So I want you to hear these words that the Apostle Paul gives to the Thessalonians and then applies to us today. So looking at starting at verse 16 through verse 22. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, that we ask the Holy Spirit, who we've even read about this morning, to give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Otherwise, we've done all for naught. But Lord, we ask that you would truly change us, or that you would truly encourage us But more than anything, you'll be glorified by what we do, by what we think, and by what we say this morning. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the first three things in regards to what is the will of God for us. And he gives us three specific things. He tells us to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. So the first thing he talks about is to rejoice 
Now, he tells us to rejoice in the midst of circumstances because it's easy to rejoice when things are going well, right? We don't have to tell the Toronto uh, Raptors to rejoice in winning the series for basketball or Golden State. We don't have to tell graduates to be excited when they cross the stage and get their diploma. But what about the teams that lose, or especially lose the close one, or the student who almost got to graduate? What do you tell those people when circumstances are not so good? And specifically, how do you tell a Christian who is in the midst of trials and tribulations how to continue to worship, to give glory, to be joyful, to pray in the midst of hard times? Well, that's what Paul's doing because he understood that you can have a discouraged faith. When things go wrong, a lot of times it robs us of our joy in Christ. We have hard times praying. And sometimes we even stop pursuing holiness. We just quit. And so the Apostle Paul is coming to the Thessalonians. Again, a small church, a young church, a church that's come out of hard circumstances, that's facing persecution, that's facing um, trials in their thinking because Jesus hasn't come back and people are dying. They don't have um, answers to their questions. And so they're, they're, they're getting, they're crying out. They're getting tired. And so the Apostle Paul comes and he says, don't lose your joy. Rejoice always because the circumstances are not the source of your joy. See, it's God's love and the gospel message that becomes the source of our joy. So sometimes, again, it's hard sometimes to hear past our pain and become that is the focus of our life. And yet God comes in and he says, I want you to be joyful in all circumstances. Because at the end of the day, you are in a loving relationship with God who gave his son for you. So be joyful in the midst of all circumstances. The second thing he tells the people is to pray without uh, without ceasing. Now, the first thing I'm telling you is do not quit. Because that's typically, if we're honest, one of the first things that goes in in our spiritual lives, doesn't it? When we get tired, when we get upset, when we get overwhelmed, when we don't think God's doing what we think he should be doing for us, when we're in trials in the midst of tribulations, we just stop talking to him. And so part of the thing that I think we need to understand is do not quit praying. Even when it's hard. And it's difficult to go to God and to pray and to give thanks in the midst of it. But listen, it is our first line of defense. It's the thing that we should cling to and hold on to. Is that we get to communicate with the living God who is in control of all things. And he is the only one, listen, that we can go to who can change things. So why would we stop and cut him out of the conversation? So don't quit Praying in the midst of trials and tribulation. What he tells us is he says, do this without ceasing. Now, it doesn't mean that you're always in prayer all the time. And so if you take a moment to, to go and you stay focused on something else, that somehow you've broken the commandment. That's not what it means in the scripture. To pray without ceasing means that our heart is always open to the leading of God. Always open. 
There's always an attitude of prayer. God, what do you want me to do? God, how do you want me to live? God, how do you want me to respond in this situation? God, how do you? Because again, a lot of times, if you're like me, if we start doing it in our own power, things get messed up. I mean, just let's just be honest. When you're out in traffic... So we've had to go a couple times to, to the airport in the last week. And, um, and again, so I'm driving over there on 528 and I'm in the fast lane and there inevitably is someone who is driving the speed limit in the fast lane. And that's wrong. You're supposed to go fast in the fast lane. It's, it, it's a, it's a lane that you can go beyond and you don't want to pass on the right. That's, that's a bad thing. So those people need to get out of the way. And so I go from this great Christian pastor that's trying to smile to him and be like, get out of the way. Now, now why do I stop and pray and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Because I'm in my own, I'm in my own strength, my own power. And what do I want him to do? I want him to get over. And so I, I don't pray for the person. I get close up on their bumper. Flash my lights at them. Raise my hands while I'm driving. Come on, get over. See, God wants us to have an attitude of prayer. He wants to make our requests known to Him. He wants to be a part of the conversation. So don't quit. Pray without ceasing. And then the third thing that He says in regards to the will of God, He says, I want you to give thanks in all circumstances in all circumstances see he wants us to give thanks constantly constantly he wants us whether it's adversity or prosperity that we're dealing with in all circumstances see i think for us in the united states we always are looking for people who have more oh they've got a pool they've got a nicer car they go on better vacations. They have better kids. They went on, they went to good colleges. They did, they did, they got, they got. We begin to compare ourselves. Have you ever stopped to thank God for what you have? Have you ever just stopped and thanked Him for the blessings that He's given to you? I mean, truly stopped and start to number them. I mean, starting with the, the breath that you're taking every morning. I know it's, I know it's hard. I'm getting older too. And those first steps out of the bed, you're just like, everything pops and creaks. And, but man, I get to wake up another day to tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. I get another opportunity to love my kids and my wife and the congregation. We have to live in a place where, again, right now we have the freedom to come and worship. We have the opportunity to, to spread the gospel freely, openly. Thank God for the blessings that he's given you. And he do it all with the perspective of giving all the glory to God. All the glory to God. See, we don't have, uh, we don't have to live in fear of God. He gives us a peace. It is a, a, a blessing, the shalom of God, that He allows us to live life, all of life, to give the glory to God. Because that's His will. 
He tells us clearly in the scriptures, he says, this is God's will for you to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances. So he tells us to do that in the midst of trials and tribulation. And then he goes on to tell us a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he tells us to do is don't quench the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin to unpack this a little bit, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit in three specific ways for you this morning. His character, his clarity in regards to the word, and then his conviction that he brings through the word. So the character of the Holy Spirit. First thing to understand is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. And again, we are a denomination, and I'm not speaking specifically to any one person or whatever, but typically our denomination, the Presbyterian denomination, usually doesn't do the Holy Spirit well. We get God the Father, we get God the Son, and we throw in the Holy Spirit when we need to. The Holy Spirit is a person. And he's someone who indwells Christians. And we know this, again, from the scripture, from Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you have the Spirit then you are a Christian and you have a person dwelling within you, not an it. It's a person. And because he is a person, listen, he can be grieved. Now, how is the Holy Spirit grieved? He's part of the Godhead. He's a part of the Trinity. He's perfect. How can he be grieved? I don't know. It's one of these great things that if you think about it, it's overwhelming to you. But for some reason, God in his wisdom allows the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, to be grieved by our actions. And because he is a person, he can be grieved. And the way that we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we act out in a sinful manner, in any way. So again, I want you to to put this in perspective. So when you're watching that movie, you're not supposed to be watching. The Holy Spirit is watching it with you if you're a Christian. If you are cheating on a test and you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is cheating with you. If you go to that party, if you slander that person, if you steal, if you judge, the Holy Spirit is there and you have grieved Him. You've made Him sorrowful. And it doesn't just happen in just deeds or just words. Jesus takes it a step further and says, if you think improperly, you've grieved the Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul comes in and he says, I want you to live in such a way that it glorifies and honors your Heavenly Father, that it glorifies and honor Christ who gave His life for you. Live in such a way that they know, people know that there's something different. Not because that's the way you get saved, but because you are saved, you act differently. And this happens because we have what? A love relationship. It's not simply about law with the Spirit. It's not just simply do's and don'ts about the Scripture. Do this and you're good. Don't do that because that's bad. It's a love relationship. Because again, you know if you're a parent and you have to discipline your child. What's one of the things that they say, especially when they're younger? Do you still love me? Yes, I still love you. There's no way you can ever get out of this family. You are so loved. You are so treasured. You are so cared for. Do you have to be disciplined? Yes, sometimes. But that doesn't change because that shows how loving I am to you. It's the same thing in regards to the Holy Spirit with us. We are in a love relationship And so he brings about conviction and clarity. And so the Holy Spirit is this person of character that tells us what we are to know. And then the next thing that he does is he does give us clarity in regards to the scripture. He tells us that we are to test, that we're not supposed to take away um, the prophecies that are given to us. Now again, this is written to a place where the New Testament's not written down. They don't have what you have. Okay, so there are people still out there who are giving prophecy, who are giving the word of God. And so they're saying, be very careful of those who are out there because there are false teachers. You should test the spirit. And so the first thing in regards to clarity that the Holy Spirit gives is he answers the question, is this biblical? The Holy Spirit cannot speak outside of the word of God. This is why it's such a big deal when, again, and, and I've been doing this long enough, I tell you I'm a, I'm a theological mutt. I came from many different backgrounds. And the people who scared me the most were the ones who came up to me and said, God gave me a word for you. Well, God already gave me his word. It's called the Bible. So where and there are your words coming from? Because if you don't go there, then I don't trust your word. God has given to us the Bible and the Holy Spirit only speaks from there. It's not about Mr. and Mrs. Feel Good. It's not what I think or how I feel at the moment. It's not your best life now. It's none of that. It's what does it say in the Bible? Because that is the place where the Holy Spirit takes us to transform us to look more like Christ. And so we say, is it biblical? The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he brings something that is rational. He engages the mind. This is important. Doctrine is important. This, what we're doing right now, is important. It's discipleship. We're being disciplined in the Word of God so that we might know the Word of God. And when we know the Word of God, then we can apply the Word of God to our hearts. And then it changes how we act. It changes how we live. 
And so it's, it's a rational and biblical thing, but it's also spiritual. Why do I say it's spiritual? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Or write it down and you can look at it later. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. I'm not putting it up because it's, it's too long. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the first thing we have to understand in regards to the Holy Spirit is that he makes us alive. He makes us alive. Which means if you come and you worship, truly worship, you have the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian. Quit thinking you're not. Quit thinking you're not. Now, I want to also make very clear, there's a way that we can come into this room and we can say all the prayers, sing all the songs, and our heart not be in it. And you understand this. I I worked at a school with football players where we said the Lord's Prayer every afternoon of practice. Every afternoon. And it was a cheer for them. So, do you think God was pleased and honored by that prayer? No, their heart wasn't in it. But for those who gave their heart when they said the Lord's Prayer, meant it. It's a thing that allows us to know that we are alive. Because the dead don't praise. And the dead don't sing. It's only those who are alive. So he makes us alive, but he also assists us in regards to living spirit-filled lives. And only that, he allows us to become active. So we sing, we praise, we honor, we give glory. Because the Holy Spirit moves within us. So the Holy Spirit is this character, he's this person that lives within us that allows to give us clarity of what the Word says and how we're to live. But then he also brings conviction. We are to to tell, it says, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So what does that mean? We hate what Jesus hates. When the Scripture says this is not good, It's not good. It's not a question, and it's definitely not a question of how far can I go before I cross that line. If we ask that question, we've missed the point. 
It's saying, do I hate what God hates? And you know what is happening out there right now? Where there's a weakening of doctrinal clarity and conviction. It's why Joel Osteen can have one of the largest churches in the nation. If you don't read the Bible, what does it matter? You do whatever you want to do. Or you start a bad thing, you start trusting what I say to be right all the time. If you trust me to rule your life, you're in a sad affair. Because I will always go for my own thing. And you know I say it tongue in cheek. Because if I don't, then you guys get caught up. If you love Jesus, you'd give more money to your pastor. You let him have a pool at his house. You let him have a bigger boat so that he could go out into the ocean and go deep sea fishing. Because you know what? He's a lot better Christian if he gets to go fishing every week. And you know what? We, we laugh about that, but there are churches out there that live by that mantra. And so doctrinal clarity and conviction is leaving image and influence replace truth. How do we look? How do we, how do we begin to impact the things that are around us? How do we have a moral gospel? Just be nice. That's what that Jesus didn't just come to do to change us to be nicer. He came to save us from sin. We're in a place where there's no church discipline. You live whatever way you want to. Who are you? Who's the church to tell me that I can't do this or can't do that? Or to admonish me? We also live in a place where there's spiritually immature churches. Remember Paul said there's a big distinction between those that drink milk and those that eat meat. We should be growing in our knowledge and understanding of who God is. And listen, the Spirit yearns for that. The Holy Spirit is crying out to go deeper. Because the Holy Spirit allows us to love what Jesus loves. And how does he do it? He convicts us of our sin. He convicts us. One of the things that that one of my first pastors that I worked for used to say all the time, name the sin. Now why do you say that? Because it's too easy for us to do general repentance and conviction. Oh, I'm a sinner. God forgive me, I'm a sinner. Well now ask yourself, how are you a sinner? Well, pastor, you're getting personal. Don't step on my toes. Is yours a sexual sin? Is yours a monetary sin? Is yours a sin of timidity? Is yours a sin of fill in the blank. Name your sin because the Holy Spirit convicts you and then He leads to repentance. 
And we are to repent of the sins that keep us separated from the love relationship that God has given to us. And so we repent, and when we repent, we find forgiveness. True forgiveness. And it says he throws it as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. We do. But he doesn't. Do you understand what an incredible gift that is? He remembers it no more. Then he restores us to that right relationship. And as he restores us, he gives us blessings. Be transformed by the gospel message. Allow yourself to be looking more like Jesus every day. So if you find yourself in hard circumstances, or you find yourself, you're on top of the world, then heed the words of the Apostle Paul. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Test the truth. Do what's good and abstain from all things that are evil. Then, then, worship your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your table, it's a table set for sinners who have the Holy Spirit to convict, to allow us to repent, but restores to us forgiveness and the mercy and grace of God. Lord, thank you that you are not a God who is helpless or angry except at sin. You're a God who loves us before the foundation of the world and would continue to love us in a perfect love. But more than that, you gave us your one and only begotten Son who then freely gives his life as a ransom for ours to allow us to come to this table freely and forgiven. For your wrath is satisfied and your love restored. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to come and to hear. And now may we apply what it means to look more like Jesus Christ today. Maybe just a little bit more than when we came. For this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.